Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio land. As usual, I am, it takes so many things I do in the morning as I get ready for the show. I'm telling you, I give myself an hour to get ready uh, before I get ready to kick off and go live. But want to welcome you guys to, uh, this is the beginning of August. I hope you are examining what you've done so far in your life as far as your goals this year and what it is you want to get done because time definitely does not wait for us. This is August the 10th already. I feel like I was just saying it's, it's the very beginning of August. We are, before you know it, going to be in the in the middle of August. But want to welcome you to Off the Shelf, and you are absolutely listening to the winning book radio show, Off the Books Talk Radio, here at Blog Talk Radio, you can catch us so many places online and offline. And for those who are just tuning in or you're hopping over, it's a Saturday morning, maybe you're doing your house cleaning, you're looking for some entertainment while you start your morning, there is still time for you to catch off the shelf before we introduce our awesome guest this morning. The listener dial-in, you can tell your friends, your neighbors, there is still time. You won't miss this great guest if you connect now. The listener dial-in is 347-994-3490. Again, that's 347-994-3490. You can also connect to Off the Shelf via our chat room and, and or just just click on over into Off the Shelf so many ways. But again, that listener dial-in is 347-994-3490. And this is the thought I want to leave with you at we go into this amazing show, and I think you're really going to enjoy today's guest. But the thought is, great things never come from comfort zones. And don't we want to be comfortable? Great things never come from comfort zones. Something just to marinate on today as you go through your day. And off the shelf, listeners, I want to ask you a question. How good of a mystery sleuth? Are you? Do you think you can finger the person who's responsible for the murder mystery that cloaks Raymond and his best friend's life? Raymond goes off to college, and he has this four friends. They stay friends for life, forever. But there is a murder mystery. Something happens as soon as Raymond leaves home and goes to college. How involved is he in this murder so are you somebody who can figure out who did it, who did it? There's already two people at campus that you might want to keep your eye on. It, that's one thing to love about Love Pull Over Me, and you can go get yourself a copy of Love Pull Over Me right now from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, eBook It, you name it. It's in print and eBook, so you have two different options for you to choose from to get Love pour over me however you want to read and enjoy it. But also, how much do you value relationships? There is a true soulmate relationship for the romantic, for the person who really believes in that type of love. I mean, you have a deep belief belief in it and you really want it. You're going to get that. You are going to get that in love pour over me. And lastly, there's a complicated father-son relationship, and there are probably millions of those, if not more, in the world, even as we speak, that affect families, that affect those soulmate relationships. If those three things are important to you, I really, really encourage you to stop what you're doing 
and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me now. And now I'm going to connect our guest for this morning. But first I want to introduce her before she comes on live this morning. And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is June Ahern. Now, June is a life coach, author, and public speaker. She tours the country on book tours, events that she enlivens with her sense of humor. And books that June has written include The Timeless Counselor, A Guide to a Successful Psychic Reading, City of Redemption, and The Sky in June. She seems to have this gift. And and honestly, I think we'll let her talk about it. But I think a lot of people have it, or all, but we just close it off. Now, although born in Glasgow, Scotland, June grew up in San Francisco. Please visit June Ahern online at com, and that is J-U-N-E-A-H-E-R-N.com. dot com. You can go over there. See, this one thing I love about the Internet. You can go over to her website, June, J-U-N-E-A-H-E-R-N, now, and check out her website and her books and her bio, and also listen to her, share things she's learned, things about her journey, about her books, as you listen to this off-the-shelf Books Talks radio interview. We are so delighted to have June with us this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, June. Thank you. Good morning. (laughs) Good, good morning to you. I'm always up running around. I don't care how early I get up. I'm just doing so much promoting the show and different things in the morning and also before the show yesterday and before the show starts. But it is an absolute pleasure to have you with us on Off the Shelf this morning. The first few questions I ask every single guest because I used to just go right into the questions about the books. And listeners told me, Denise, we want to know a little bit about the guests before you go right into the questions about the books. So I ask these first four or five questions to every single guest who comes on the show. So to kick it off, June, could you please tell off-the-shelf listeners what it was like for you growing up in Glasgow, Scotland? Well, I came to America when I was six, so I only have very important events that I recall from Glasgow. One of them is uh, we used to call our our backyards. You know, we lived in a uh, in a apartment building. Like uh, we called them close, C L O S E. And in there, there was the washroom. You know, this is before electrical washers. You know, and all that. And I remember going back there and sitting on a bucket, an upside down bucket, where my older siblings told me rats lived under it. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know what this is so funny, to, funny as an adult, but just jumping up and running out of that little washroom, you know. Um, so what I remember mostly is family, being with my family, how close I felt to my sisters and brothers, my mother there. It, it, when I think of Glasgow, my time in Glasgow, it always revolves around uh, my family and the kitchen. And my mother telling us stories, she'd make up stories and we would just sit there and she would tell us stories. So it's a really warm feeling that I I have when I think about Glasgow, my time in Glasgow. 
Do you remember it? Can you like describe it? What state in the United States? Like, is it like? Is it wide open? Is is it countryside? Yeah, Glasgow is a city. It's a well-known. One of the sayings is, if you can make it on stage in Glasgow, you can make it anywhere in the world. So when when a client asked me to come back to New York City and and see clients, because, you know, for many years, I had a very successful business as a psychic medium. I'm retired now from that. But um, I said, listen, I'm from Glasgow. I'll do okay in New York City. (laughs) And I did. I did really well. I, I love New Yorkers. I have to tell you, I, I get them, and I just have a really great time uh, when I come back to New York. So Glasgow is known to be like a tough town, you know. And, Interesting. Um, oh, it, and it, it's tough. Even now, people, if you watch any of the BBCs or anything, they when they mention Glasgow, their eyebrows kind of go up. Oh, they're from Glasgow. <laughs> ah. And, and uh, you know, it was born, uh, a bomb during Second World War. Uh, so they started to rebuild it. Now it's a kind of a, a cultural city, but it's definitely a, it's right on the River Clyde. So there's a lot of ships that went, go in and out. So not so much anymore, but it was a shipping, a shipping town. You know, my uh, father inter- actually worked down at the, at the ships. Inter- interesting. So then you come, so compare that to San Francisco, because that's where you really you know the other part of your childhood and your teenage years how different was that and why did your family come from uh, leave like Glasgow and come to the United States well I'll tell you something I love San Francisco it's changed of course like every place has changed Uh, it's a beautiful city my father uh, is we're well we're from I'm from a Catholic family and uh, very staunch Catholics. And Catholics didn't do well in Scotland. Um, and so they really could not get uh, the majority of them. I cannot speak for everyone. I don't like to say that I speak for everyone. But the majority of them could not get decent paying jobs. Uh, there was a great prejudice against Catholics. They were attacked. You know, think about Northern Ireland now, the Protestants and the Catholics. Uh, the Catholics are what you would call economically on the lower rung. And um, so he left for a year. He came over to San Francisco. He had uh, some friends from San Francisco, I mean, from Glasgow living there. So they sponsored him and he was looking for work. I mean, the bottom line is it was all about um, uh, making a better life for his family economically. So that's why he he came to San Francisco because actually it was a family of his best friends. The uh, four of the men had come to San Francisco for the same reason. So my mother was left with uh, seven of her children on her own for a year. <laughs> and then she oh my goodness. <laughs> she was a tremendous woman, a lovely, gentle woman. You would call her a gentle woman. Uh, and she brought us all over to San Francisco. I remember the plane ride over, and I'm talking plane. We're not doing jets here. <laughs> and, oh, okay. Uh, it, was long. York, it was long. I remember that ride. I remember the bus ride to the airport and my grandparents coming and everybody crying. They gave me a hanky. I remember getting this big white hanky and I didn't understand. I was six years old. Like, why why is everybody crying? Well, when you left in those days, you didn't go back easy. You know, when you left your home, you left your home. 
Right. You know. Right. Now we get on a plane. I go visit. I get. I plan a trip. I get on the plane. I go back and see my relatives. But then it was like, can we go back? Can we afford to go back? How long will it take? So. That's why we came to San Francisco, for a better life. Interesting with everything going on with immigration now, globally, in a lot of different countries. And, you know, to hear what you're saying, and, you know, so many years, they say the United States is like a a country of immigrants. We know the the indigenous people, the Native Americans, they were here first, and nobody even considers that, but it is is people just from other countries. It's, It's always... Uh, been that way and you everybody comes they go where they think they can have a better life yeah and and that's why when people begin to talk the way that some people you know negatively about these people I said you know I am one of those people I was I you know I'm a naturalized citizen I became a citizen under my parents uh, because they became citizens you know I was 11 years old before I was a citizen of the United States my eldest sister she was too old. She had to go and become a citizen on her own. So, I mean, and fitting in, we did speak English, but we spoke English in a way that almost nobody understood us. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a real heavy Glasgow accent. And uh, I, I really do get it. I, I get the prejudice and racism, and, and I get it. And although I'm mm. white, you know, and I got a big white red face and everything, I, I get it. Right. Now, it's yeah, it your family. My heart. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Hopefully, it will it will turn. We will remember that most of the country. You think Native Americans beyond that immigrants or or, or yes. people brought over as slaves? Is 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 yes. most of your family still today in Scotland or San Francisco? I know you said you and all your parents and your siblings came over, but your your extended family are they still? In Scotland, or did they all? All of them. Uh, all of them. Okay. We left our grandparents and our cousins, our aunties, our uncles. We left everybody. And so growing up here, um, we didn't have. Maybe that's why we were, were so close. You know, we're very we were very close family. Uh, so we would make friends, cousins. <laughs> and in my day, you called adults either auntie or uncle. You didn't call them by their first name. So they became our family here. So how often do you get back? And then I want to ask you about your dreams when you were a kid. So do you go back? Do you go back there? Do you go back home? Yeah. Yes, I okay. go back. Yeah, I, I go back. Uh, I haven't been for a while, and I'm overdue, as my cousins keep telling me on Facebook. When are you coming back? When are you coming back? And I keep saying next year, next year, and, and I just haven't yet. So it's been uh, about 12 years since I've been back, which is way overdue. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's way overdue. And my sisters, I have sisters and brothers and nieces and nephews. They've all gone back. You know, so oh, I'm okay. I'm lagging in my visit to my relatives. And, oh, my God, there's so much fun. They're crazy. Wow. <laughs> now, you said you worked as a like a psychic medium. But when you were a child, what did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? What did you say, when I grew up, I wanted to be? Well, I wanted to be uh, a veterinarian. For one thing, I love animals, still love animals, though they do annoy me, I have to say, but I love animals. So I I saw myself as a veterinarian, and then my mother, I always made funny faces and acted, so she said, you should be an actress, you know, and I always laughed. So really, it was a veterinarian that I had focused on. Uh, 
my father was old school and his idea that you didn't send girls to school because they only got married and had babies. So when I got out of high school, I was told, just get a job. You're not going to college. So that dream kind of just went away. Oh but I do goodness. have a niece with a veterinarian. Yeah, that's the old, that was an old working class school uh, thought, you know, idea. Interesting. Uh, so you wanted to yeah. be a better veterinarian. And then we'll, I, I want to ask you, how then did you, before we go into your books, because you talk about a little bit of this in your in your books, how did you go on to become a psychic medium? Did you have several experiences that happened to you, like you knew things, and you're like, how do I know this? And then that took off from there? Well, I did. I was interested. My mother used to read our tea leaves. Of course, we could not tell the nuns. Like I said, we were strict Catholics, you know. Uh, she would read the tea leaves, and she was a lot of fun that way. And then I had a very serious automobile accident as a young adult. And after I came out of that accident, I went through the windshield, and I came back in, and I, on my way to the ambulance, I had a near-death experience. And when I came back, I began to know things about people, things that I've never met people I don't know. And I began to see visions. I actually, uh, not right after the accident, uh, more later on, a few years later, I actually saw a person that had passed, showed up to me, scared the bejeevas out of me. I mean, I was not prepared for all the stuff that happened. I really thought I was maybe going like I was crazy. You know, and and in those days, you know, who who are you going to tell? Oh, I went to the other side and I saw it. You, you just didn't talk about it then. So wow. So how old were you? how 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 old were you? You I, said I again was, when it happened. I was nineteen. I was about boy. I came to America and in March, and I had my accident in March. <laughs> so oh, I was wow. almost twenty. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was a, and it left me with serious scars on my face at the time. And over the years, you know, my face filled out, so the scars aren't as noticeable unless I'm tired. So I had a lot of changes, a 19-year-old woman with scars, and then realizing that she knows things different. It was a difficult time of my life, very, very difficult. But also, oh, so, so you know, when you think about this, you think somebody would welcome it. Like, oh, God, you get to know things. Before they happen, you can plan your life out better. That's what you would think because yeah. when people call, they want to know either what happened to my loved one or what's going to happen right. to me. Yeah. And so you're saying it, it wasn't that way. It wasn't like, oh, I no. love this. No, ah. I did not love it at all. I was afraid of it. I, I uh, Before I had my accident, within a few months before, I went to this woman. Some A friend told me about this woman that read the playing deck of cards uh, so I went to her just to see what it was like, and she predicted it all. I'd be in this terrible accident. I would be. There would be two men at my side. They would be arguing. Well, I had a somewhat boyfriend, and I had met someone else and went out with him on the sly. Talk about getting caught, right? And and that's who I had the accident with, the new one. You know, and and so it was. I mean, how do you explain to somebody that you know things about them? That they've never told you. Yeah. I mean, I could be sitting at the bus stop, and somebody sit next to me, and I start to know things about them, like hearing, you know, voices telling me. And I thought, oh my god, you know, people that hear voices, you know what they say. Oh you know? yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
So, uh, I, I, so I began to look and I began to study tarot um, a few years later, and it really helped put things into balance for me. And the woman was a wonderful teacher, and she did keep me after class one day and say, you have a particular gift. You have to really look at developing it. And it answered a lot for me. She she talked to me about it. Okay. Now, how old were you when you knew that you wanted to be a writer? Well, you know, I just like to draw and write. Uh, actually, in the eighth grade, I won some sort of a little award for writing coming to America. Uh, my mother was a writer. She was a poet. We used to call her a poetess, but now you call her just poet and writer. And she did it just because she loved it. She did not pursue a career in it, and she was very good. And when I, uh, right about 1988, 89, uh, I had a, a friend say to me, if you wrote a book about you know, what people do when they come to a reading, how to find readers, what they do, what kind of questions, how to get the most out of it, a consumer's guide. You know, it, it would open your career more. And I had already been doing readings since 75 and teaching classes. And I said, oh, okay, you know, how long will that take, oh, being impatient? I started writing this book. I had so much help. I started handwriting it. And then a friend put it on the old computers in 1988. Uh, and I didn't plan on being a writer. Every single book I wrote was on the advice of another person. Oh, you should write this book about this. <laughs> you know, uh, and that was my first book, and it did. I was on People Were Talking, radio sh- I was on radio shows, I was on television, People Are Talking, back then that was a very popular show. And, um, yeah, it was kind of an interesting time. It's like, wow, write this book, and people know that you have experience to share. Wow! Oh my goodness! And it's sort of just—it seems like you know, I've, we've been—I've been doing off the shelf for 14 years. It's—it's it's amazing. Some guests lie, that lies, they seem to almost plan them consciously. They can see where they plan things out as they happen, and then others, it just kind of flows organically under the surface. Things just happen, and, and it's just amazing yeah, to see how you. It is. As, as when you're living through it, I think Steve Jobs. Uh, the form, uh, co-founder of Apple said this: When you're going through it, you don't see how it's connecting. It's not until right. you would either look back or somebody else looks at your life and they're like, "Oh, I see where all the little dots connected." But when you're living through it, you don't see it. Now, no. is is sky the sky in June? Is this your first novel? And and what inspired you to write that particular book? Sky in June is my first novel. It started out as a screenplay. I wanted to tell a story about my sisters and myself and experiences that we were having, um, looking into paganism, looking into other ways of enjoying uh, our spirituality. And as I said, you know, we're very Catholic. My parents were appalled at us. And uh, and so I started writing it uh, in a kind of an honor to my sisters. My first title of that was Catholic Girls Make Good Witches. And when I met somebody and they kind of showed me, I didn't know how to write a screenplay. And what did I know? And a friend of mine, an author friend of mine who uh, writes nonfiction, and she said to me, you know, June, if you write this as a novel, sometimes it will be bought better as a, as a screenplay. There's more interest. And again, I said, well, how long is that going to take? I already spent like three years on the screenplay. 
She said, oh, well, just start writing it. I had, Rhonda, I, oh, my God, I had such a great time. I shared it with my sisters and mother. The most memory I have is sharing it. They would come over to the house, and we would read, that, read chapter. We would read it, the dialogue and the chapters, and I'd ask my mother and my older sister, uh, is that you know, pretty clear to, to Glasgow how life was? And they could answer my questions. So although it's fiction, you like to get, you know, as close as you can to what really took place in a particular place or culture. So that's how I wrote it. I, you know, I love that. I Can you give our listeners it. an overview of the sky in June and introduce them to some of the characters in the, in the book? Yeah. So, so it's set mostly all in San Francisco. It opens in Scotland and uh, the story is just, steeped in nuances of Scottish culture and language. Readers can learn some Scottish words, you know, and it's fun. Um, and so that's where all my main characters are, are born in, and from. And then it moves during the mid-1950s, it moves to San Francisco, and it goes up to the radical days of changes in 1960. And 1960 in San Francisco, as all over the world, was really radical. Uh, so my stories weave around the city's most recognized neighborhood, and that is the Castro, as it's known now, but it's really known as Eureka Valley in San Francisco, and it sits right about in the heart of the city. It's right about in the center of it. And the great thing is readers get to go in of their, the Castro Theater, Cliff's Variety Store. They're both still flourishing today, and they were flourishing back in the 1950s. So it's fun to learn about the neighborhood, uh, the story is about the McDonald family, and it begins with the birth of their last child, who's a girl. And I did name her June, which I'm going to tell anybody, listen, if you ever write a book, do not name it the same name as yourself, because it is a problem. <laughs> Why is that a problem? Be- because think people it's, think, they it's think it's an your story. Yes. Well, people think it's an autobiography, and it's a fictional story somewhat set in a framework of an autobiography. You know, I did take things like naming me June in a Catholic family was not right because everybody's supposed to be named after a saint. So I'm the first non-saint child in the family named after, you know, I should have been named. um, My mother, my middle name was Patricia after St. Patrick. Okay. And so for the first two and a half years of my life, my father called me Patricia, and my mother called me June. <laughs> anyway, so well, it, it, interesting. <laughs> oh gosh, I know. No wonder I'm a little unusual at times. Uh, so the parents are Jimmy and Kathy McDonald. He's a working class man. He's a hard worker and a hard drinker. And he wants things in his total control. Kathy is uh, a lovely woman, but she's a little, uh, she's afraid of her husband. She doesn't want to upset the apple cart. And she's very distant. She actually suffers from what we know now from depression. Uh, Uh, We don't know why. The story is why is she always kind of pulling away from the family, laying in bed, having episodes, you know, uh, what's wrong with her? And so a little bit, it hints at it, you know, throughout the story. It kind of hints at it. Not until the end do we really find out uh, what is the secret. What, what, is she, what is she holding on to that she just is 
causing this depression in her. And, of course, Jimmy gets more and more violent. So they have the youngest daughter, who's like a beacon for unusual people coming in her life. You know, you have Mrs. G, the downstairs uh, Polish survivor, Jewish Polish survivor, who teaches uh, this character, June, how to read the tarot cards because she sees her gift. And uh, there's the sisters, Annie, the eldest, and she's very much the eldest. She takes the mother's role because mother can't really hold it together. You've got uh, Maggie, who is just like, sassy and pretty and all the boys like her and she likes the boys <laughs> and you've got Mary oh yeah Maggie's like here I am and just flips her hair from side to side <laughs> and, and you've got Mary and Mary's a she's a gentle girl shy but she takes the brunt of it off her father like Annie the eldest she just won't take it she's like I'll just ignore him and Mary's very sensitive, and the father makes fun Aww. of her and calls her a little boy. Oh, little boy, you get that. Because she's kind of tomboyish. Mm-hmm. And um, so she, she suffers in that way. And then the youngest, June, she's feisty. She's a little redhead, and, and uh, she's always in trouble. They go to school with the nuns. I don't know if any of your readers have, are old enough to remember going to school with the nuns and their habits and stuff. I don't have anything against the nuns. The story isn't about having anything against nuns or any religion, really. But it is, does use religion as a learning tool. You know, are you going to judge others because they're not like you? Are you going to decide that somebody's religion is better than your thoughts? That's really why I wrote the story in the beginning. I wrote the screenplay. You know, if a person's a good person, they're just a good person. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. G, readers have told me how much they love Mrs. G that lives downstairs. Oh. You know, and then, yeah, they just love her. She's just a great character, uh, and she's wise, and she's got her own psychic powers. So she helps this youngest child, June, develop this and feel comfortable. You know, and, and then you meet the Callahans, and they live down at the other end of the Liberty Street, Liberty and Castro. Uh, and the McDonald's get to buy a house. That's when you can actually buy a house in San Francisco. <laughs> and they live up on Liberty Street, by uh, up the street. And the Callahans are on usual family because it's two women living together. And in those days, in the 50s and even the 60s, uh, you could not be openly gay. It just wasn't going to happen. And... Um, they live in the neighborhood, and they have two children, and the two children become the McDonald's best friends, especially Brian. June and Brian become best friends, the boy. So that's some of the characters, and there's characters it's, throughout. There's Sister Noelle. She's, an old, she's, she's a good character. It's, it, your characters and the way you describe them, You. this is one thing I, I know when the, the, they tell you that the – the plot is great, the setting is great, but people have to care about your characters and they have to care about yes. what happens to them. You need a good villain in a in a story to keep people reading and you need somebody that people are going to root for. Your characters, the way you describe them, they sound so intriguing and so interesting that it makes me say this has got to be a good story because of the way you describe your characters as the writer. It sounds like you're very in tune with your characters and connected to them in the story, the, the sky in June. Now, when I was researching for your interview, some things popped out at me as I was doing the research. 
And I wanted to ask, what past sins does, and for our listeners, some of these answers I may know, but for our listeners, what past sins does the girl's mother, she's in bed, she's struggling, she's kind of detached. You say later now we would know it's depression years, then maybe nobody really knows what's wrong with her, but what past sins does June's mother struggle to forgive herself of? What what has happened to her in the well, past? Well, if I tell you can't? that, I'm going to tell you the story. <laughs> you know, that's what the readers are going to find out. Well, one thing is uh, there is a daughter that dies. That's what forces the McDonald's to to really decide to leave Glasgow. Uh, they have uh, one that's between... Mary and June is a daughter named Helen. And Helen's always been a weak child. Now, we know from the beginning of the story, there's a chapter called The Gypsy, The Gypsy Visits. And that's in the very first chapters that Kathy also lost an infant, uh, a newborn. She lost a newborn and, and her and her mother, um, Granny, Granny B are talking. And Granny B is telling her, you have to let it go. You can't think of the past. And then the next chapter up, we have some problems, and then we find out that Helen dies. And it's, I can't even read that at book reads because I start crying uh, when, when she's holding Helen and Helen dies. And Helen's about three when she dies. And uh, so the family, so, so we think of sorrow, you know, the sorrow that the mother has already lost two children. And, and she just, you know, I mean, really, who really went to therapy then? Therapy, things have changed so much for the better in many ways. No matter what anybody says about the world, there are some really good things that have changed. And um, so she she just had to go and, you know, go to church, talk to the priest if she wanted to, like that. There's a, you know, she has, she comes to the country uh, where she's alone, meaning she has no more relatives or or parents. Uh, and she's got a rather brutal husband, you know. Uh, he's definitely uh, the villain in the story. And she's got no one to talk to her about her grief. She talks to Mrs. G about it because Mrs. G says, yeah, all her family, her husband, her sons were all hung, you know, when the Nazis came in. Ooh. And so Mrs. Yeah. G is able to tell her, I know what sorrow is. And she shows her a photograph of her family, and they sit there and they look, and then Kathy opens up and says, yeah, I, my daughter died, and, you know, I lost a baby. And, and Mrs. G tells her, but there's something else that you don't want to talk about, and that's what readers have to find out. Why can't Kathy? What else is there that Kathy just can't talk about? You know, her you parents know, you know, thought Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You said her parents thought well, her parents thought that Jimmy was a good match for her. He's 12 years older. You've got this really cute little blonde, blue-eyed, pretty woman marrying this not very good-looking, older, hard-working. They say, well, he's a hard worker. You should take him. So she married a man because her parents thought that, was a, that would curb her. She was getting a little, like, independent. And they said, oh, no, 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 you should marry this man. And so Kathy's just not happy, you know? In a, in a marriage, she doesn't love him, and, and she's children that have died, and she's alone. You know, it's sad when, I, when I'm listening to you, and I could think some things my grandmother would tell me. You know, she my grandmother said years when she, she grew up in, my grandmother was born in 1921, and she said 
you were married as a woman at 18 and you had kids by 21 or people wondered what's wrong with you. And that's exactly. shocking to me. It's sh- now if you get married at 18, people are like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> In a totally different way. Not like, why aren't you married? But why are you getting married? Are you crazy? It's t- it's, t- it's totally different now. But she said, oh, no. And she said, you stuck yeah. it out. You stuck it out. Oh, I don't yeah. care what was going on. So not divorce. No, I don't care what happened. And so people thought marriages were better back then. And then things that we know happen today, child abuse, incest, uh, domestic violence, oh. that that went on, but nobody talked about it. So we thought things were better back then because people just oh, yeah. hit it. They never, they didn't talk about it. All this stuff that's out here now was going on. It was hidden. That, every, everything going on now, we think the world's crazy. It was going on then. People just hit it. Now, now, why, why is the father? Why is he a hard man? You know, we all, we all, I believe we all come from love. Something happens to us that makes us become the way we are. Why is the father a hard man? What makes him hard? I know you said he's a hard worker. Is his job demanding? What makes him go down that path? Well, you know. I- what I'm, why I decided that is, um, in the beginning of the story, when she has the last baby and she wants to name it June, and he says, "No way, you know, my child will never be named a bloody pagan name. What's wrong with you? Name it Elizabeth after my mother." Well, there's a very short, brief period, and actually, my editor thought we didn't need to go into it, but he comes from a very doer family, mother, father. You know that picture? Oh God. When the the famous artist where the uh, the farmers are just looking out the camera. Oh so doer. yes, <laughs> that's Jimmy's parents. <laughs> oh. So he comes oh from, my god. You know, sometimes people. Um, I am again. I'm, I'm not against religion at all, but sometimes people are in a religion and they take it so bloody serious that you, you know, there's no joy in it. Yeah. There's there's no sense. I I like to think of. Uh, any spiritual participation and action and thought has a joy, joyfulness to it. Mm-hmm. And so his parents are like that. And you have to remember back in certain countries, especially alcoholism was just so accepted and huge. I mean, more houses had problems with alcohol, with the men coming home, spending their money, beating their wives, beating their kids. It was accepted. It was actually like the norm. You know, and so he's an alcoholic, and he's not a very happy person either. Oh, my goodness. Now, do any of the girls, do any of the girls, since Adi had so many daughters, but do any of the girls stand up to their father? Or, or oh, yeah. To be, uh, you know, Annie, Annie the eldest, um, she's rather stoic. She does what she's supposed to do. She's not a particular pretty girl, certainly not like Maggie. <laughs> and and uh, she she does what she has to do, and she has ways. All the girls find ways to go around their father to protect their the youngest and just to protect themselves. Like they hide. They have little secrets. They say, well, don't tell Daddy we're doing this. You know, so they find ways to get around him. Uh, there's one chapter where Jimmy goes crazy 
and he just is beating on, you know, the kids and yelling and stuff. Uh, he finds t- June's tarot cards that Mrs. G has given her, and he just takes them and, and he's screaming and throws them in the bin in the back to fi- uh, the fire. Uh, and the girls talk about poisoning him. Where will they put it? She, Mary says, we'll get a bat and we'll beat him. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Annie says, poison. We'll put poison in his tea. <laughs> so the girls do, do think of how to get rid of their father. And and as the story goes on and the girls, you know, they start out as little girls and then they become um, teenagers. A little later, you know, Annie's already, by the time we get to the end of the story, Annie's already out of high school a couple of years and Maggie uh, is just out of high school. So we, you know, we we look at the family and how it changes over the course of time. Uh, there is one scene. I don't want to give too much away, but there is one scene where Annie, uh, where Jimmy is beating on the June, and Annie just goes in and just takes them on. She wow. just takes them on, and she's a little thing. She's a little petite thing. And, uh, so he's brutal. He's brutal. Them. He's brutal. Like yeah. for years, he he doesn't even think about changing. He just is terrorizes his family for years. Oh, he does not change, no. Oh my goodness. Oh that's I think and that is tra- Mr. Power. <laughs> you know? I think that's just stick that, together. Yeah, that's tra- that's uh, tragic when a person goes through so much and they never get the lessons and they never change. Sometimes they just go deeper and deeper into the woods. It's just yeah. it's just sad. Yeah. Now is June the youngest of the of the girls and and in what ways is she like her mother and in what ways is she like her father? I do want to say this though, so readers don't think they're reading this horrible story. There's a lot of humor in it too. When the girls get together and they start laughing and they start looking at boyfriends and so there is a lot of there's a lot of sisterness in it. It's a mother daughter uh story and there's a there is hu- very humorous times. So I've had people say, oh, my God, I went, I was mad, I was sad, I was laughing. You know, every chapter there was a different emotional reaction to it. And um, I'm sorry, what was your question? <laughs> how, was, how was June like her? You know, I know your comedy and you can hear it through your interview. That, of course, is going to make its way into, you know, what you write. In what ways is uh, June like her mother and in what ways is she like her father? Well, June physically will look more like her mother, except for being a, uh, a pale blonde that her mother is. She's got the red hair. And I think like her father, there's that, you're not going to tell me what to do. There's a strength there that she will not be dominated. She will find a way to get out of it. She will find a way to get around him or over him or ignore him. So she she has that part of her that has that strength. Um, like her mother, you learn in the story that her mother has had some experiences, some some insights that June's visions it fits June's visions. So I would have to say that June is really more uniquely herself of all her sisters. Like Annie looks like her father more. And uh, she's certainly not a weakling like her mother. She's also got that father determination. And and Maggie is like Kathy when she was younger, you know, uh, up, more optimistic, 
looking forward to life. And poor Mary, I think she's heading definitely for depression. Oh. You know, just everything about her is pointing out to this is not a good situation. Now, without so, giving the story, oh, go ahead. No, no, that's it. Without giving the story away, I wanted to ask, and I don't know how you can answer this. Probably not, because you might get the story away. But June, you know, she has this gift of clairvoyance. Oh, before I ask you this question, what made June say? Oh, there's something different about me, or I'm, I have a gift of insight or clairvoyance. Did she have an experience? What made her even go down that road? Well, uh, the first time well, we first see it when she's just only almost six months old. She's just a tiny baby, and her six sister months. Helen, her sister Helen's crying, and she, uh, the baby leans forward and puts her hand. Well, well, first of all, the gypsy comes here. There's a part, and the gypsy says, "I." See that one? She's got faith. Ah, she knows things that people don't know. And so the gypsy makes that prediction when when Kathy's holding uh, June as a baby. She comes to the door. The old gypsy comes and knocks on door. She's trying to, you know, earn some coins. And then when Kathy goes in, Helen has another earache. She's always sick. And June leans forward and puts her hand on her ear, on her sister's ear. And Granny B says, she has something. She, you know, she seems to be able to comfort her, her sister. So we know from the beginning, uh, the first three chapters, that there's something going on with June. Uh, and then on the plane ride over to America, she points at a book her father is, is saying, oh, look at the boat. Did the man die on the boat? Is he in the water? And um, Jimmy says, oh, shut up and slaps her leg. Just be quiet and listen to the story. So we, we, yeah, oh God, it's a long flight. <laughs> and uh, so we, the readers know there's something there and it just grows. Mrs. G comps, her sisters tell her she's, you're nuts. They tell her she's crazy, you know, but they do it in the funny, and they do it in little girl ways. And uh, she'll say things like, um, you know, if somebody dies back home and they get a letter or something, she'll say, they're here. Can you see them? You know, and the sisters are like, you're crazy, but where is he? <laughs> like that, you know. Uh, so we know uh, early in the story something different about that she has. Girl. That she has this. You know what, and it kind of, don't want to give it away to the reader, but the story has to me uh, 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 like a beautiful release for for the mother. So you like you build it up with this tension and this humor in it, but it come to this good ending now. So is she able to, and I, I, this is a question you probably may say, I can't answer it because you get a story away. Is she able to use her abilities to help her family to heal? And you know, it's odd you said her father never changed, and maybe she could use her abilities to, to help him see something coming, and you better change, you better change. It's, he sees how she's right. And so many times he's right, and he thinks, you know what, I better change. But is she able to use her abilities to help her family to heal? It is a story of reconciliation and acceptance. It really is a story about mother, daughters, um, and how do they weather a difficult life, uh, stick it together, and how do they finally come to a place where they reconciliate their uh, their differences, their and accept each other 
So in that, in what you're saying, there is an acceptance. And in the acceptance, in any acceptance, when you finally listen to somebody, there is a healing. When you finally stop and open up your ears, like Judge Judy says, you've got two ears, use them, and really see a person for what's going on with them outside of your preconceived ideas of what they should do or why they're doing it. There is a, a particular kind of healing that goes on with acceptance. You know, you, you see it. And so to, to answer that, uh, yes, she is the catalyst to the family healing. Oh, see, and then that's when you look at, because a lot of people would look at the, her clairvoyant gift almost like uh, watching a circus. And so it's good yeah. when you see this gift is used to actually help people to 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 release them from something, to help their healing. That that is, I just think that's beautiful uh, that you work that way, it that way into the story. And just, instead of making it like this circus, like oh look what she can do. So I think that's that's a good thing in the uh, sky in June. Now, how soon after you wrote the sky in June did you start writing City of Redemption? So we're kind of going to this uh, this healing. How soon after you put that book down and finished it? Did you begin writing on the City of Redemption? Five years. Wow. Probably five okay. years. Uh, I had no intention. I actually started the, uh, because so many readers wanted the sequel to The Sky in June. That, you know, I kept getting emails or people saying it on uh, reviews that they would give, you know, Amazon, Goodreads, everybody says, now what? And um, I went down to L.A. to put a stage play on of The Sky in June. I took particular characters and, and uh, actors down there signed up for the play and stuff. And in that, I met a young Scottish actor. And she said, um, I love this part, but I can't play Kathy because, you know, I, I don't know if I could age as she ages over the years. Would you write a screenplay just for me? Like she took this guy in June to her agent and said, I really would like to, you know, do this. And they had decided not to. So I said, yes, you know, sure. I talked to her on the phone. What do you think? What do you want? And she agreed it'd be good to do something during kind of the summer of love. The 60s was such a hot, memorable time. It was a huge time. We've got the Black Panthers in there. We, we've got drugs, sex, rock and roll. And she loved the idea. Well, I had just began to write. I just started writing it. And my eldest sister, who was also my best friend, died unexpectedly within a day. Aww. And I could not do anything. I was paralyzed in grief. I I'd never, you know, you get to an age where people die and you have grief. Uh, I was paralyzed. And so during the year that I took off, when I got back to the actress, she had already moved on. She moved on to other stuff. And that's how it is in L.A., in Hollywood. You know, they move on. But I was already had the story in my mind, so I started writing it. And um, actually, it was great. I had, again, I collected family and friends, and I had them come over, and they read the screenplay. Uh, and then the same thing. I thought, well, you know what? I got the screenplay. I'll make it a book. <laughs> so I did. Uh, and I loved it. I was listening to all the great 60s music and, and uh, playing music as I was writing. Like the Sky and June, oh, I would do all the dialogue out loud. And then that one, I just play it, blasting my music as I was writing. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, my goodness. I like to write with music in the background as well. Can you give us a... Uh... 
like a synopsis of City of Redemption and uh, then talk to us a little bit more about Ms. Liz. Oh, Ms. Liz, yeah. And Tony, who is, uh, she meets, she's uh, a Black Panther woman, and she's studying to become a lawyer. Well, I, I, okay, yes, about Liz. I, I love Tony. That's kind of, I love them both. So City of Redemption, when flower power erupts into firepower, and you get Liz, who uh, somehow has been condemned and is involved in Scotland, it's, it actually opens up with Liz in prison in the United States. And then we go back to Glasgow. I got, you know, this actress wanted to do it, Scottish. So you go back to Glasgow. And Liz uh, is very self-absorbed. She's young. She had a baby at 15, 16. She's married. She spends money. She just wants to go out and have a good time. And so her young son, Patrick, is eight. He, gets kid- he goes missing. He gets kidnapped. They later find him. He's murdered. So that's in the beginning of the story. So I don't have to worry about people you know, giving anything away. And her uh, community condemns her. You know, She wasn't watching him. And she lied. She lied to her husband. Oh, he went to a friend's house. He'll be home later because she was so worried. Like, where did he go? So she kept an investigation. Hours later, they went to the police department. And um, so she comes, a broken woman. She comes to San Francisco. Uh, this little man, a sailor, reads her ruined stones in a pub, and she's drinking a lot. And he says, you have to leave this place, and you're going to go to this place. You're going to pick San Francisco, and you're going to go there. So she comes at the height of summer of love. And she moves in. She meets. She goes to the, uh, an area, and she meets uh, a commune. She moves in with a commune of really character. We've got Ricky, the drug dealer, who changes women like he changes his, his tie-dye T-shirt. And uh, you've got the gay guy, Mason, and he's just looking for love. He's a, he's a great guy. You know, I love my gay, my gay people. They are just wonderful, and they can make wonderful characters. And you've got uh, Tony, and what a powerhouse she is. And Bobby, her boyfriend, doesn't live there, but he's there a lot. So she meets this group, and she becomes uh, embroiled in a plot to bring down the Black Panthers. And there's a snitch, and there's, uh, you know, so I don't know if anybody knows the history, how the FBI went out to, to win oh, the Black Panthers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and, and uh, you know, I came, I came of age during the 60s in San Francisco. And so I think even by nature, I'm a little bit rebellious. <laughs> little bit a lot uh so i put the hit i also put some of the history in there so again it's a historical these are the things that actually happened then now some of it is fiction but tony and bobby have a really beautiful love relationship they're in love they want to get married but tony says well let me finish my you know I'm, she's becoming a lawyer let me finish school first and uh, you've got Sam, who's a, a Vietnam vet, and he's out to change the world through kumbaya, love, you know. And Tony and Sam are good friends. And you got Liz there. And Liz just trying to deal with her grief of her son, you know, the horrid thing that happened to her son. And pretty soon she's like, who do you choose? Do you choose your grief or do you choose saving, which she considers now her family? This, you know, this community is her family, mm-hmm. and she has to take you, some steps. Go ahead. 
No, your characters. I love your characters. <laughs> oh my goodness. I I love your characters. Um Thank you. Is, your characters are just amazing. Uh what have readers been saying? You you I mean your books, your characters and the way you describe them. What have readers readers been saying about City of Redemption? Well, you know, as an author yourself that we really learn a lot from our readers. We learn what is working and what's not working. So if you're going to put your work out there, you better have some tough skin. That's all I'm going to tell all the buddy writers. When you put it out there, you have to decide. I took this off of a film critic. You have to decide if any review helps your art. And if it's just somebody spouting off, forget about it. Readers love the dialogue in all my books. They love the characters. More than anything, they talk about the characters, the way they talk. They really relate to the, a character. They'll pick a character and they say, oh, my God, you know, I, I've been there. I, I had that relationship with somebody like Ricky. I mean, you know, girl, if you live long enough, who has not had a cat in their life, right? And, and uh, so I felt, they would say about Liz, I felt for Liz, but I was pissed at her. Like, why didn't she just stop this thing and, and do something. So there's a lot of mixed rela- uh, reactions to Liz. Sky and June, people talk about, oh, my God, I lived during that time, or I had sisters, or I had a father like that. People really relate to the Sky and June family, and they relate to where it's set. They love the Scottish uh, culture and language in both novels. They laugh. When I go to book events and I read it in my Scottish dialogue, they love it. And readers talk about there is one woman that presented it in, a, in college for her students to read because she wanted them to read about immigration, the sky in June. She wanted them to read about how it is to be an immigrant. And that was quite a feather in my cap to know that it was uh, the book of this uh, college class. And, oh, so, yeah. That is well, kudos to you for that. Kudos yeah. to you. Little but better. the way you describe yeah. your characters, I mean, if you're doing like any show or you're talking at a book event, uh, your your marketing piece to me, it would just be to start talking about your characters because the way you describe them, you really bring them to life. And so that tells me that you're you have a deep connection to your characters them come alive in the book that said as we, we we're down to less than a minute are you working on any other books june and if so can you give us a glimpse into what you're working on now i really really have to finish this guy in june if i get one more email kissed at me because they don't have the sequel <laughs> Uh, I am not uh, you know other than the sky in june i did write another book uh based upon a person, a client of mine that just passed last week, he said an angel visited him, and this is a few, and said that I have to write this book about communicating with spirits. As I said, I've been a medium for many years, and uh, you know, you readers can see I do uh, paranormal investigations on YouTube videos, and uh, I did not want to write that book. Again, I, I was done writing books, except for the sequel, but I wrote it, and amazingly, because he kept saying his angel told me, PM me a hundred times, uh, and amazingly, the uh, 
people that are so interested in near-death experience and communicating with spirits. That book actually has become, besides The Sky in June, that book has become my most popular book. It's amazing. I mean, I'm amazed. Because, you know, there's so many books out there. It's like, well, what? You know, why should I write you know, this book? But you know what, it, it almost seems like death is like the great separator, although I don't Isn't think anything it? ends. But you people, you want to talk to somebody that you you used to talk to them, and now you can. And if somebody could help you make that connection, most people yeah. would, I think, yeah. would, would, you know, would accept that. I, in that book, I tell people how they can they can do it through a medium, a seance, a group thing. But I really support doing it yourself, and I tell people how you can do that. Mm-hmm. A, and then also people people want to know what's going to happen in the future. They want to know, should yeah. I take this job? Should I go in this relationship? Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to fail. So it's, if somebody can see something I don't see, can you let me know if, I, if this relationship will work out or if I should just leave it alone? People want to know. But you know what, before we close, I want to ask you this, uh, this question. When you've told people, if you've picked up, that you should maybe be in this relationship or not be in it. If somebody still wanted it, do they ever really listen? No. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. You even if you tell them, even if you tell them this is not going to turn out well. If something in them wants to do it, it's like, eh, I'm doing it anyway. You got it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I say to people, well, what do you learn? So I turn it around. That's why in my first book I said. It's so important how you ask the reader the question, not will I have love, will it work out, because you're right. Do they listen? No. You know, I have twice. Once you, once you want to do something, you're going to do it. <laughs> you're so right. Yes, once you, once you want to do something, you're going to do it anyway. So even if you knew, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's not going to probably change your your behavior in any way. Where can off-the-shelf listeners find you on social networks? How can they connect with well, you on social media? Yeah, I'm on, you know, find it in my uh, website where it says social media. Um, I'm old, so I'm not as up with social stuff as some people. On Facebook, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram if I could ever figure it out. And uh, <laughs> um, they can just get in touch with me through all of that. You know, YouTube, I, I just made a, another YouTube uh, video. And so they can check it out there. I do have a video on how to use your telepathy on, on YouTube also. So they could just put in June Ahern and, and they could see me live, even with my blue hair. And, uh, you know, like that. Yeah, I, I okay, well, June, we want to thank June Ahern for being with here, us here on Off the Shelf this morning. And she, some of our books include The Timeless Counselor, A Guide to a Successful Psychic Reading, City of Redemption, and The Sky in June. She was born in Glasgow, Scotland, which if you, if you came in midway or at the end of the day's show, you can go back when the archives finish streaming and listen to it in its entirety. And she talks about Glasgow. And she also grew up in San Francisco. Please visit Juna Hearn online at J-U-N-E-A-H-E-R-N.com. Again, that's J-U-N-E-A-H-E-R-N.com. Thank you so much, June. Thank you to all of our off-the-shelf listeners. Remember, you are awesome. You are incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. June, I'll shoot you an email when the show finishes streaming. Bye for now. Bye.